Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, which is an agency of the United Methodist Church, and we're located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Cynthia Wilson, Worship Executive and Director of Liturgical Resources. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. And I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, the Director of Music Ministries. During these unprecedented days of physical distancing and leading online worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that share the challenges of producing online worship and finding ways to help those worshiping with us to stay engaged and feel connected, even from a distance. In today's episode, the team is going to have a conversation with the Reverend John Thornburg. John is the Director of Learning at Texas Methodist Foundation in Dallas, Texas. He brings 41 years of ministry experience in diverse settings, both here in the United States and in West Africa. He calls himself a professional encourager. And John loves to work with congregations in the Holy Conversations strategic planning process, as well as representing all of the traditional financial and leadership services for TMF. So first, John, tell us how you're doing. We haven't seen you in almost a year. It's so good to see you. Welcome back. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I am doing well. I am blessed um, with a beautiful family and meaningful work. And this week I am celebrating the beauty of experiencing the risen Lord Amen. And, and more than that, experiencing a sense of hopefulness that emerged from many people getting to return to their beloved churches yeah. and sanctuaries and to return to singing and to breathing together and saying yeah. the Lord's Prayer together and such. So I'm good. Amen. That's great to hear. We, we are also sensing that hope in the conversations we've been having with other practitioners around, particularly in this mini ser- series about returning to in-person worship. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was, as Cynthia said, about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago, that we met with you and we recorded a podcast around your article called When We Return. And in that conversation, we talked about second level thinking. First level thinking was responding to the emergency, getting all the stuff ready to go and trying to continue on. Second level is, who are we? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? And you were pushing us, pushing the church to ask some of those questions about what is the nature of our ministry, particularly our worship ministry, but ministry in general. And so now as we have a a year with all kinds of things that have gone on in in the life of the church and in the world and continuing to go on, we we wanted to meet with you again and and ask these questions, you know, to say, are we still focusing on the right things? What what are 
are the driving questions, you know, as we return to in-person worship. I know there's the technological side and the, and the protocol side and all that other kind of stuff. But with all that's gone on, you know, mm-hmm. where do we begin this larger conversation about what it means to be the church? What have we learned in this past year that maybe put us in a different place or just deepened the place where we were before? So what, what do you think, uh, where would you have a start with that? Yeah, thanks, Derek. Well, certainly the, the biggest thing I think we have learned as a church that w- is that we're not in one pandemic, we're in two. Mm-hmm. And naming that has been um, easier for some than others. Um, and we've also dealt with the real heartache of partisanship, uh, both in a country and church. And so it has for me highlighted the difference between what some people call safe space versus what people might call brave space. So let me say just a word about those. Safe space, at least as I'm defining it, is a place where you know that you share values and assumptions with others, and therefore uh, your values and assumptions will not be questioned if you enter into that space. Now, the positive side of that is that you can rest in the comfort of familiarity and in a very um, reliable solidarity. Um, So safe space, for example, is essential for marginalized people. Um, Now, there are negative sides of safe space. And again, sometimes they show up more in communities of privilege. We may, in, in the negative side, we may unwittingly or, or even quite forthrightly foster a kind of partisan toxicity. It's, it's what William Sloan Coffin called the standard illogic of comparison. I'm okay because you're not. And we've heard a lot of that. Now, in in safe space, I would say that the role of Jesus is to be the ultimate embodiment of solidarity. But let's talk about brave space just for a minute. In brave space, we know walking in that we come with different values and assumptions, different hopes about the future, different views of how to deliver public good. But we accept that reality. (laughs) So you might say that in brave space, we're more willing to allow Jesus to do the talking and that our role is to listen respectfully about what each of us hears Jesus saying. Or to put it another way, in brain space, Jesus holds up the mirror so that we can all see what we are doing to each other. Um, So I think that as we emerge from COVID and as we continue to deal with the pandemic of racial injustice, we have to regard the difference between safe space and brave space because a worshiping community in some ways needs both. But there's really important discernment work to know even on a week to week basis, where where do we need to lean this week? Uh, So what I wanna say is, This isn't a binary, you either live in safe space or you live in brave space. 
in a worship community, we could find ourselves in different places. And I think that's going to be big work for worship planners uh, in, uh, in the coming months. As, as you describe those two, safe space and brave space, I, I hear echoes of the traditional understanding of the, the priestly pastoral role and the prophetic and that the, the brave space is calling us into a prophetic mode, but not in a, a threatening kind of thing, but the holding up the mirror. When you, when you said that, you know, that's what echoed in my mind. So is this a call to the church and its prophetic role, both within the church and in society in general? It certainly is. Um, we've, we've been playing duck and cover um, with, with our call to do prophetic ministry, and it's really time to give that up. Um, it's always hard work. We always want to default to the, to the pastoral. Um, but in a time like this, we, we mustn't default simply to the pastoral. Um, we've got to hold those two things in tension. So, so then it's from that framework that then we then approach the questions that you presented. What does it mean to be the church, and and who is our who are our neighbors, or what is our community, and what is our mission? And is it is is that the argument that you're presenting that that that's now providing a a larger frame around which we begin to ask these other questions? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I also want to say, in, in addition to questions we raised last time, it's now more clear to me and to, I think, to many that we are simultaneously living in three different spaces or periods of time. And we never know when we get up in the morning which one we're going to be living in. Um, and I call them the period of time we are exiting, the period of time we're entering, and the period of time about which we can only dream and wonder. Um, and so, for example, as a worshiping community, in, a, in the period of time we're exiting, we have to ask the question, what can't be true anymore about our public worship? For example, we can't act as though reaching people online was just something we did because we had to. So there's a lot of conversation about how are we different? Um, what And what, if anything, must we really leave behind if we're to be the worshiping community we're being called to be? Then in terms of the, the world we're entering, is it possible we should name a different metric for worship than attendance? Mm -hmm. um, should we be imagining more actively new venues? <laughs> what would worship look like without traditional buildings? Um, and should we be imagining how to escape the tyranny of spending so much money and personnel time as we said last year, to getting like-minded people in the same place for an hour. Mm -hmm. So is, is the period of time we're entering a time when we get to seriously say the era of one-hour Christians has to give way to a different reality. Um, and then in, in this period about which we can only dream and wonder, um, one of some of the things I'm wondering about is, 
how does intimacy occur in digital space? Mm-hmm. You know, as we return, people say, oh, it's so great to be in proximity. It's so great to hear each other breathe. And it is, of course, it's amazing. But we do have to ask because so many people have been invited into our worship on digital space. Uh, what does intimacy look like there? Um, what are the possibilities of worship as pilgrimage? Um, why is it that we feel we have to always be in the same place? Um, what are the possibilities of kind of a newly <laughs> born cathedral parish model like um, centuries ago, where there was the big the cathedral, mm. where the festivals happened, and then the parish churches where the daily offices happened, where the day-to-day formation of disciples was. I wonder whether it would be fruitful for us to consider um, a worship model that has more festivals and then a more decentered uh, kind of um, daily uh, approach to the worship life. So those are a few of the things that I'm wondering about. Which, which might be also like the class system, the Methodist class system, right. where you had the gathered worship and then you had the, the smaller groups, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I, you know, I think we're on our way to the, to being house churches again. And, um, and that's been happening around the world in different formats. But um, uh, I've just heard more and more of that happening because we, that's how we have been worshiping, you know, with our um, people we're closest to and maybe a few neighbors. And this whole house church system has already begun. And so I love what you're saying about the cathedral, the, the, the larger structures being the festival places, but the, the nitty gritty, the growing, the uh, the mission work, all that comes out of a smaller uh, entity. Um, you know, something that I think we've learned this past year is that we don't need a building. That's been obvious. You know, the church meets here, but the church is something greater. Um, and um, the other thing that I, I hear pushback uh, from church leaders is, uh, we're, we don't need to open our churches. Our churches have been open. We've been we've just been doing it differently. And so I want to ask you the question: um, What is crucial uh, that you see coming up for us to be the church in this post-pandemic world? Yeah. Wow. Well, there's uh, there are other things we need to. Um, put in the category of, I wonder. <laughs> in other words, I think we have a really important vocation of wondering in the coming months. Um, first is, um, can we, <laughs> when we ask the question, God, what's the difference you're calling us to make in the coming season mm. of the congregation's life? I think this year may have taught us that the coming season may be shorter than we think. Mm. Um, that is to say that things are, things are uncertain enough that to think we can make uh, a rough, roughly speaking, a worship plan for a year, at least in my mind, is, uh, is unwise. Um, that <laughs> this, I'm hoping this is a period where... Um, we are kind of a little more Holy Spirit seat of the pants um, that (laughs) um, that um, and I mean, the uncertainties, how long will COVID really have a grip? 
Mm-hmm. Um, um, what effect will the recasting or rebranding of Methodism have? So there's a um, lot of swirl going on about that. Um, we, we mustn't um, allow ourselves to think that if we are sad or if we grieve, it means we are not hopeful. Mm. I'm seeing too much manifestation in congregations, especially of discernment teams that are saying, well, we just, well, we have to just get on with it. And I find that a a really difficult uh, false choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I was really taken with a, uh, a chapter in the recent Abingdon book, I'm Black, I'm Christian, I'm Methodist, um, comment by Tory Butler, who's a local pastor in the Baltimore-Washington Conference, saying that um, folks just have, a, have to have a chance to holler. Yeah. Um, and so uh, just as safe, sacred space needs to be created in the whole congregation, for people to grieve has to be created in worship too. Um, yeah, we need to name it. We need we need to be open about the grief, and in in both pandemics, as you were mentioning. Yeah. Because until we do that, we're just um, sweeping it under the rug again. And we were talking about this in our worship meeting just a couple of days ago about the time when when the time comes or if it comes of separation. How do we acknowledge that in worship, some sort of a leave-taking um, uh, service so that we can validate who we've been together and still validate that we've decided to move on separately? Um, so, uh, and that, that will be a painful uh, service. And, and, but with the hope that there's a new creation, the uh, hope of something that's something that only God can see if where it's going to go. Um, so I, I'm totally with you about the lament and the hope have to live together, and we need to acknowledge those in worship. You know, I heard an extraordinarily courageous question from a congregational team that, that I'm working with. Um, that, that was a kind of a classic situation of a change of pastors and a change of direction in the ministry. And, on this team, there were leaders from the former pastor's tenure and leaders from the new pastor's tenure. And you would expect, I mean, it'd be unusual for there not to be friction. Um, but, oh my, one of the members of the team, who is one of the newer leaders, um, looked at that saint of the church who had been so um, energetic and and rock solid in the former time, looked at her and said, I really, I really honor, um, I really honor what you've done. I wonder whether we need the occasion as a congregation to name what we think is slipping away. Mm. And those were just really powerful words for me. Um, and, And I think that that's going to be really necessary for congregations at some point, whether it's uh, 
questions of congregational identity, their role in the community. You know, we used to be somebody (laughs) (laughs) or, or whatever it is. You know, I, um, I w- I'm really intrigued by uh, Diana's comment that what we have found is, is that we really don't need to have a building. Um, that's, that's intriguing to me um, because that particular, I think it, it's uh, Thurman. Thurman says, well, it's attributed to him. He says um, that this, this book that we're writing in the midst of COVID um, we've been writing this book all our lives. The, the we can be, um, you know, you think about who that we would be for you and for others around you. But as you know, John, we've been playing around with massaging this idea of seeing all the people. And um, to understand that the church is not a building, you know, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a, what kind of place, uh, but the church really is a people. Um, the thing that I think we will continue to struggle with in writing this book is that last line, the church is a people. Well, what people is the church for you and for me and uh, et cetera? Uh, so I, um, I'm just wondering how it is that we're going to really be diligent about seeing. How will we see? Um, and I can't help but think about uh, Psalm one thirty-seven. You know, by the by the rivers of Babylon, we wept. If we if we are not able to lament um, what's coming at us as a people, and if we don't understand that we really are in the in in the water together that that this these things that are flooding over our souls are worth noting and and if you are not one who is sharing uh, the to- turmoil of the water and and the wit and the floods and the rage etc then um, how will you see and and how what what will you do? with the pain and the lament and the hollering all around you. Is, is, it, is it a matter of just, you're just avoiding the water and going <laughs> to higher ground? What, what, are you gonna, what are you gonna do with, the, with, with this fear of being overcome by the water? Uh, so yeah, they're more than, they, they, they really are different uh, measuring sticks. There are different metrics that are available to us uh, that we must be aware of as we mm-hmm. as we begin to uh, expand our understanding, maybe, of what it means to um, bring the church into a season of uh, of seeing all the people, or to be a part of, you know, question for us in in discipleship ministries is uh, whether or not we ourselves are really seeing all the people. So if we are doing that, then maybe we can come up with some really wonderful ideas about encouraging (laughs) the people to see each other. I don't know. I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. But Well, you know, this reminds me, uh, Cynthia, 
uh, of an amazing congregation. You know, a lot of Texas churches had extensive uh, damage mm-hmm. from the winter storm. Yeah. Yes. And one in particular in the Dallas area just just was absolutely devastated. And they had already been out of their building for a year with yeah. other problems. Yes. And so their lament mm-hmm. about the intimacy that they found yeah. within the walls, within public worship, yes. was deep. And they went ahead and said it. Mm. They were not masking anything. And so it was a it was a beauty to me that having heard two weeks ago, having heard members of that church elegantly mm. talk about their sadness um, of gathering in that place and providing service to the community in that place and praising God in that place, mm. that two days ago, one of them wrote to me and said, well, we're thanking God for a parking lot. <laughs> and I just I loved it that in the span of ten days, mm. um, you know, a nearby elementary school had said, "Well, come on, we we got this huge parking lot. Come on!" Mm. And they did, and they found these wonderful ways to kind of drive by each other and talk, and it was it was really quite amazing. So. Um, mm. Holding those things in tension. Wow, that's our work. (laughs) I heard a paraphrase from one of the verses in that Psalm 137 that says, God, let this this home where we find ourselves be as comfortable as an old shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I I think, too, um, I, I... I agree with the idea of acknowledging the sadness and and saying what is slipping away and what are we losing. But I think we also have to be careful. What um, there are those who are lamenting the loss of white privilege <laughs> as we begin to acknowledge that. I mean, there are some things that maybe we ought not wow. lament, except in the fact that, as as Cynthia pointed out, we acknowledge that we have failed up to this point, and that now we need to really see all the people we may have had the 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 words, but we haven't really had the action, and so that's what we're lamenting our our sinfulness, our, our failure yeah. at that part. But but Absolutely. but I I worry a little bit about uh, emphasizing what are we losing because uh, there are so many people who want to hold on to things that are destructive to themselves and and to the church as a whole. And and in this pandemic of racism, I see I begin to see some pushback, maybe not necessarily in the church so much, but in the culture. You know, that's that's the make America great again idea that says, let's go back to when everybody knew their place. Yeah. And and we don't we don't want to celebrate that. We don't want to honor that anyway. I don't think we do, you know. Um, and, and so how do we make that distinction to be between what is worthy of lamenting and, and what we need to avoid or or turn on its head into confession um, kind of thing? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that, because um, as I was preparing for this and praying about it, the phrase of the liturgy, we have failed to be an obedient church, just just resounded in my ears. And it made me wonder um, what it would mean to devote um, a season Mm. to 
the, the lament of failing to be an obedient church. Mm. Um, I really appreciate what you said about there, there are some things um, that we have to we have to be careful <laughs> and right. say, well, I'm not going to give that up. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think that's been part of the problem because people want to hold on to their power. You know, in, in one sense, we've got uh, a world that has pushed us into rethinking who we are. But we've got an institution that sometimes wants us to hold on to the way it's always been, because that's simpler. You know, the very the very s- small thing that you mentioned about that maybe our, our measurement is not worship attendance in place, that maybe we need to look at other metrics and figure out who we are. I mean, that's that's threatening to to an institution that's built on certain me- metrics. So how do we make that shift in our heads, too? You know, I, my life was changed when uh, a blessed associate of mine um, jerked me out of one reality and placed me in the right one. Um, it was in a Nash Wednesday service, and, you know, we we were all too prideful about how beautifully designed this service was and the words and the music and everything, the flow and the look. And, and I mean, it was ridiculous um, how proud we were of it. And um, came to the moment when she and I approached the table to get the vessels for the ashes. And she turned to me and she said, in this, right in the moment, she said, you know, they know how to do this. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't know whether to, to embrace her or fire her in the moment, you know. <laughs> right. And um, thank oh. God that oh. God said, she's right, so you better listen. And then th- what she added was, um, and God will show you how. Mm. Well, we had a magnificent experience in which people heard priestly words come out of their mouths for the first time in their lives. But when it was over, the next day when we were doing evaluation, she said, I'm convinced we need better worship evaluation questions. So I said, and I'm pretty sure you have a few in mind. And she said, yes. The first one is, did anything happen? Mm-hmm. And the second question is, what else do the people know how to do? And I am convinced that in this season, those are two extraordinarily powerful questions to ask on a week-to-week basis as we think about um, our planning uh, of worship. Did we see evidence of the Spirit? If we didn't, were we in the way? If we did, can we trace it to its origin? Can we figure out how we got out of the way? Um, And what else do the people know how to do? That question has haunted me wonderfully for 20 years now. Yeah, that whole concept of uh, being able to holler, uh, you know, that that uh, thing that you reach down in your belly uh, and you find that it's just kind of been hiding out there, but there's just not been a safe space uh, to just open up your mouth and say, Lord, have mercy mm. and not be, uh, not, not be, um, made to feel like you're out of order <laughs> not not being made to feel like you're uh, this is not the place to do that mm. and um and then the person who who does it that y- you look at and and say 
we're having church here. <laughs> Be quiet. Mm. Uh, so when the slaves said that, when they said, shh, be quiet, hush, had a whole nother ethos, you know, be quiet. Because God is saying something, and if you're not careful, you'll miss what it is that God is saying. Uh, and you'll leave here having not uh, experienced the evidence that God's spirit was really in this place, under the trees, uh, on the sidewalk, in the kitchen, wherever that place is, yeah. Mm -hmm. In in a tense moment, or as we're living in now, or uncertain moment, um, of course, the tendency is to try and centralize power on the chancel. Mm -hmm. Mm. And uh, so I think one of the greatest tasks of worship planning in uncertain times is to ask, um, why are we pretending that liturgical power is a zero-sum game? Why can't we see um, what the, the extraordinary fruits are of trusting the people with with the experience in whatever ways are contextually available? So, imagine that. <laughs> So there are questions and issues that we have, in fact, uh, lifted to the surface, uh, some that are uh, from the past, some we are sitting in right now. But but what's coming? You said some of of this. What else is coming? What's rising to the top as you understand it? And then what's, what's the most urgent thing that one might consider uh, as we are entering and as we sit in this new season, because uh, it is um, it is a season of difference and it and it's a season of of all of these questions, and I love them all, but this is that I wonder season. And so what's what's really like the cream, what's rising to the top of our our wonders? Yeah. Well, for me, the the two questions are wonderfully interrelated, and they do come to what it means to be the church in a time when we have, (laughs) in a time we have been so disobedient. Um, And here, I I simply know I can best address myself um, to um, white folks listening. I think it's absolutely essential, this is what's rising to the top, is that we name the double pandemic because both of them are killing people. Mm -hmm. And there are far too many um, utterances uh, in church that name only the one pandemic. Um, And that's just unacceptable right now. It's dangerously missing the point. It's an adventure and missing the point, I guess you'd call it. Um, so, f- so for example, um, we'll have some uh, Anglo churches kind of grabbing at straws. Well, let's do joint worship. But too often that turns out to be, well, let's see, what's the one thing on the checklist we can do? What's the kicking the can down the road? one step that we can do. 
But what I want to ask is, what if joint worship came as the, as the, not as a way of kicking the can down the road, but as a way of celebrating a, a work of racial equity that the two congregations did together? So they, so they worked on something deeply meaningful in their context together um, with, with a deep sense of mutuality. And then the worship became a celebration of what God had done. Mm. Um, and then we've already said um, we, we just have to center on the, um, on the phrase in the liturgy, we failed to be an obedient church. There again, we got to let Jesus and Paul do the talking about what an obedient church is. It's not like we lack uh, information. <laughs> it's not like we lack inspiration on that point. Uh, so uh, I think, um, oh, and, and what would it be like to support the passion and artistry of modern day psalmists? spoken language poets, rappers, just mm -hmm. the people who, whose passion is so direct, their speech is so direct. It is psalm-like. Um, oh, my. Mm -hmm. That's that speech we have to hear mm -hmm. and celebrate and see as the raw and unedited experience of the people of God, which is exactly what the psalms are. Yes. So, um, so <laughs> there's some practices that are rising to the top for me okay. um, based on all of this. One of them is psalmist training. <laughs> so in local churches, we need to have psalmist training. You're killing me. <laughs> um, so if, if a psalmist begins by saying, God, this is what I have to say to you, that's different from engaging in uh, a, a public prayer that's written or even created spontaneously. They're both beautifully valuable. But, um, but, but the pure, unedited passion of saying, God, here's what I have to say to you. And maybe that happens much more effectively in the house church or the small setting. But I think, that, I think we as a church need to do some of this training. Second, I think we need to have hero time there are so many heroes to thank. Um, and so uh, the way I see it is we thank them, we pray with them, we invite them to speak, to say, to tell their story, and then we eat with them and listen to their stories. And um, so I, I know a lot of churches are doing this, but I think it needs to be really standard practice. Um, and the cool thing is hero time could happen in the church or it could happen where they are. Uh, imagine taking a picnic to the fire station uh, uh, or um, to the to the garden area of a hospital or whatever. Um, then I think we need to relocate the conversation of how to cope with life from the pulpit to small circles. Please excuse me for being snarky, but I think we have uh, a few too many sermons that say, here's how to cope with life. These kind of semi-therapeutic thing. Oh, you poor bedraggled people. Um, here's how to feel better about yourself. Um, people do need genuinely uh, to have conversations about how to cope with their reality. I just think to quote my um, 
seminary Christian ed professor, the, the best life change in church comes within eight feet of the coffee pot, by which he meant um, we, we do more transformative work when we get with those who know a portion of our story and are ready to hear more of it. Then I think there's a great opportunity to take pilgrimages of blessing. Oh my, oh my, oh my, are we missing opportunities to maybe send a delegation to another church and say, we bless you in your ministry. We're imagining it must be tough for you because it's tough for us. Um, to take a delegation to wherever, I mean, what fun to, <laughs> to get a people group of people in the church together and say, who's God calling us to bless? Mm. And, and then finally, I think we need to redefine what it means to participate in a song. Now, this is something that online worship has really brought to the front because, you know, here we are saying, well, we can't sing. Yeah. Uh, but we haven't asked the question, well, okay, there are limits and they're important because of public health. <laughs> but what does it mean to participate in a song? We got bodies. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I, think, I think we've been opened up to a whole new set of practices that, that could turn out to be really wonderful. I, we can sing without I, vibrating. Right. <laughs> you know, vibrating our vocal cords. We can still sing. I, I keep going back to the Psalms, partially because I'm getting ready to preach on it, but, but <laughs> sing us one of those, those good songs of Zion you know, sing and 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 the um the spirit the pejorative spirit that that rose with that right sing go ahead let the let the black people sing they do that so well right mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. oh and what and what we're missing by doing that kind of marginalization um oh my goodness yeah well, John, what else would you, um, I know we've been here over, we're over time partially because I don't know yet how to turn on a mic, but uh, <laughs> we are, we are just, uh, we are just tickle pink that you, uh, you stopped by to see us today. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to make sure before you leave that we have the date for your next visit with us because we love <laughs> it when you come you teach us so well, but we are grateful and we do appreciate your prophetic voice and presence mm -hmm. with us. We, uh, to our friends who have been listening to us, we certainly do hope that this has been helpful to you. Um, and I hope that if there is something that has, has really spoken to you in a, a deep and abiding way, that you'll write us, that you'll send us a note, tell us, something spoke to you uh, in a way that you just got to tell somebody, do that. We encourage you to do that. Remember that you can find more information at our website, umcdiscipleship.org. But if you are interested in uh, talking more to this amazing minstrel, this amazing preacher, this amazing prophet, then you can find Reverend John Thornburg at thornburg.john at gmail.com. <laughs> okay. Tell us one more time, John, for those who missed it. Missed it. Thornburg.john 
at gmail.com. Yay. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next time we're together, we're going to be praying for you and we're going to be holding up you and your congregations to God, bathing you in prayer. And we pray that God will continue to bless your worship ministry as you are intentional about making disciples for the transformation of this world. God bless you. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.